Welcome to the Revolution Podcast. Hello, Internet. Welcome to the Revolution Conversation Podcast, where we sit around and and discuss theology and what other stuff we want to talk about to give you a little feel about Revolution Church, which meets every Sunday night at 315 Chillicothe Street in Portsmouth. We have coffee and community at 530 and then worship at 555. Everyone is welcome. Come as you are. My name is Matt Rawlings. I am uh, the um, teaching pastor of Revolution, also one of the elders. I'm here with my fellow elder, Ryan. And intern extraordinaire, Eric. Eric Kimsey. Yes. Kimsey. Why don't you just go by one name? Come on. What is this? This is Hollywood. Ryan said one name. Yeah, but he's an elder. He gets away with that. You're an intern. (laughs) I I am Hollywood. Come on. (laughs) Well, at this Revolution podcast, we're going to be just, as you know, we take about an hour and to discuss a serious topic and then a not-so-serious topic, and you can go back and listen to the other podcasts and decide which one we're most passionate about. But tonight, (laughs) (laughs) we are discussing, first of all, politics in the pulpit. It is election time. Um, If you're on Facebook, you've probably lost at least a dozen friends if you've made any kind of statement about politics one way or the other, whether you meant it or not. I... I think I lost two friends right after I tweeted in the vice presidential debate that Joe Biden's teeth were wider and straighter than Kid Rock. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it is election season. We're going to talk about politics and the church. Should they have any kind of relationship whatsoever? Should the church ever speak about politics at all? A couple weeks ago, October 7th, uh, a organization which I actually work for and have been affiliated with for more than six years now, Alliance uh, Defending Freedom, used to be known as Alliance Defense Fund, a Christian legal ministry, sponsored a thing called Pulpit Freedom Sunday on October 7th, where 1,600 pastors across the country got up and basically endorsed a presidential candidate. And the reason they did that was to violate uh, the IRS's 501c3 code because they believed that uh, the IRS saying whether a church can speak about politics or not speak about politics and you know how that's tied to your tax-exempt status is a violation of the First Amendment. And so they're challenging that uh, for uh, my fellow history geeks out there, all three of us. Uh, up until 1954, uh, actually pastors spoke about politics quite often and quite frequently, but then in 1954, Lyndon Johnson, who then was a U.S. senator, uh, got mad at a Baptist organization in Texas for calling him a communist and passed by a voice vote in the middle of the night uh, an amendment to the IRS code stating that a church could lose its tax-exempt status or any um, uh, 501c3 organization could lose its tax-exempt status for speaking on political issues, engaging in partisan political activity, whatever that is. And for a long time, that didn't affect the church because the church, up until 1973, before Roe v. Wade, the church really didn't address that many issues of, of that were divisive or moral. Most of the times when, when pastors spoke about politics, it was back during times urging people to engage in the Revolutionary War or against slavery or, or you know, that kind of thing. But then when social issues became so divisive, like abortion and gay marriage, you know, that became a hot topic. 
And and so what people like John MacArthur, John MacArthur for years, famous pastor in California, megachurch pastor, influential. He's always said that the church should not engage in politics, but then this year he changed his mind. And MacArthur turned around and he preached a sermon where he said the church needs to engage in politics because of abortion and same-sex marriage. He, and his argument was that he'd rather stay out of politics, but that politics has invaded the church in issues of morality. And so that's kind of the debate today is, is should the church, does the church get too distracted by this? Does it have a responsibility to do this? You know, where do we fall out here? Ryan, what do you think? I knew you were going to start with me. <laughs> I think should, if we're like in an ideal world, should, I wouldn't see why there would be a need. Because like, I guess like same-sex marriage or whatever issues you want to say with abortion, shouldn't it be evident how we should vote? Yeah by the way we would live our lives in the scripture that we read. Right. So I don't, I mean, there's part of me that says, isn't there a huge disconnect? And in one way, aren't you admitting failure as a pastor if you feel the need to tell your people how to vote because you've not been feeding them every week, daily, well, however your schedule is, mm. with enough information and truth that they should be able to make their own decision as a competent, mature Christian. So there's part of me that says, I don't know where that place is in church when that should be something that should always be ingrained in our minds. Um, and so, and then there's a part of me, I guess, that, that maybe, I, I'm not sure, I'm just not a huge fan of it, I guess. I'm not a huge fan, um, I'm not a very large, well, I'm a large person, but not a huge political person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a large unit, um, but I, I'm not a huge political person, um, but, and that's just my personal beliefs. I don't mm. always feel like like my voice is going to be worth a whole lot in the grand scheme of people who are plotting and scheming and for whatever they want to happen. So, um, but, but I, I don't know. I'm just not a huge believer that churches associating with politics does any good for the kingdom of God. Okay. So, you know, I guess the pushback on that, and then Erica wants you to weigh in is that, <clears throat> Historically, churches have actually led the way on certain political issues. And like I said, they've, they've rarely done this. But they did take a lead role in abolition, fighting against slavery. Uh, they did take a lead role in the civil rights movement. I mean, it was the Reverend Martin Luther King, and he was basically preaching from churches, you know, to uh, strike down Jim Crow laws and to get, you know, rights for African Americans. Um, and now we have this issue in front of us. Um, where they're pushing, you know, same-sex marriage and also have since 1973, um, you know, the legalization of what the church has traditionally held to be infanticide. I mean, the killing of children. So, you know, there, there is that side, you know. Eric, where do you weigh in on all this? Where, where, what do you think? I, I totally agree with Ryan when it comes to the fact that if pastors are feeding their, their flocks... Um, that they should be able to make, it should be a no-brainer uh, the way they're going to vote. Um, but on the flip side of that, there is a major, uh, major lack of unity amongst Christians in the United States, and it doesn't seem that we're, we're uh, voting together or have the same uh, uh, biblical stance on, on political issues. So I thought you were going to say the same Bible for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Which I could well, maybe agree you know, with. There's... <laughs> 
There's those out there that think their Bible's better than others, but... Well, yeah. I mean, obviously you have to have an ESV study Bible, but... You know, that may be my opinion, but I don't throw it in people's faces. Uh, you feel a little pity when you see somebody with just an NIV, though, don't you, Eric? <laughs> just... You poor little immature thing. I, yeah, here's what it goes. I guess that, let, let, you know, um, <laughs> the happy median here is, I just burned every bridge I have with Zondervan, too. Cause there I'm you go. The <laughs> but anyway, um, I love the NIV. Um, anyway, um, is there, do we, can we assume, though, that, I mean, counseling people, like I did this afternoon, I had a couple counseling sessions, there does seem to be a disconnect. I mean, you can sit there and people can say they believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. Um, they know what the gospel is. They can they can kind of tell you, kind of break down 2 Corinthians 5.21. They can do that. But then for whatever reason, selfish reasons, cultural reasons, you then take them to the next step, and they do seem to have a problem um, really understanding the, the gravity of, say, that we abort 1.2 million babies in this country every year, and what does God think of that? I mean, because anybody, I, I don't think anybody's going to say that, even somebody that claims to be, quote, pro-choice but not pro-abortion is going to say that God is happy with the fact that we abort 1.2 million children in this country. Is that a fair statement? Uh, yeah, <laughs> but then what do we do about that? I mean, I mean, we've been had because we've had Roe v. Wade on the books since 1973, and and I will admit, as a lawyer, most people don't know this. Um, abortion was legal in many states before Roe v. Wade. It was a state issue. It was decided state by state. And abortion's been around since at least the Greeks, if not the Egyptians. It's been around for thousands of years. And so, you know, Thomas Jefferson and the boys knew knew what abortion was, um, and they left it to the states to decide how they were going to handle that. What Roe v. Wade said in 1973 was, this is a federal right guaranteed by the federal Constitution, even though you'd be hard-pressed to actually find that anywhere in the Constitution. It was basically a rewriting of the Constitution. And since then, though, the effect of that has been pretty devastating. I mean, the studies have shown that before Roe v. Wade became law, you were talking about maybe 30,000 abortions in America after Roe v. Wade becomes law. You're talking about 1.2 million. And that's a huge number. You're talking about more than the entire current population of California, Oregon, and Washington have been aborted in this country since 1973. And you know, how much have we... Here's what I worry about as Christians. Because I talk to people all the time. So, yeah, I'm pro-life, but I'm voting this way anyway. And you, you kind of sit there and think that we're kind of like the frog in the frying pan that's just slowly turning up the heat. We've become so used to the fact that abortion is legal in this country that we don't really comprehend that every, you know, every day, literally thousands of babies are being sucked limb and leg and apart in their own mother's womb in this country with the approval of the federal government, which we have a say in. And will you know if Jesus were standing here, he would say that. Would he say, "Well, that's not that important," you know? I'm not sure he would. Yeah, Eric, like you say? said, uh, there's just a big disconnect with most Christians. They don't. It's like culture becomes king. Um, they are Americans first and Christians second. Yeah. And so the idea of freedom and that we should be able to have choice and be able to do what we want to do and I don't want to encroach on anybody else's freedoms 
I don't, I don't know. It's it's like the society that they've grown up in has determined the way that they believe and the way that they think, and then they go to church on Sundays, and mm-hmm. well, that's nice, and I've done my my good deed here and there. I, I don't. I I guess the issue we have is the way it's set up. We have two parties, and there's bits and pieces of both parties that make sense on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have some morality issues that obviously make sense from the right. Then there's also the, the social issues, which in theory make sense on the left, in except theory, for yeah. when you try. The problem, here's the problem, though, with, with that idea is all those issues are something that the church should take care of, period. You know, I agree with that. 100%. 100%. I absolutely agree. If we were doing our job, you wouldn't have those issues. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it, and to some extent, some of the issues on the right are still the same way. I mean, I, you know, I, I would be interested to see how many people who claim at the time even to be a Christian have had an abortion. Yeah. I would say that would be a heart-wrenching number. I bet you're right. Yep. And so, again, I guess my issue with politics is it, is it to me, we want to make it work in places where the church should do its job. And we try to infuse politics in places where if the church was doing what we should be doing, these issues in politics wouldn't necessarily be necessary. But does, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but I, I, you know, I guess the pushback on that would be twofold. One is, do laws have a teaching function in our society? Like, for example, before Roe v. Wade, you had maybe, you know, 30,000 abortions in America after Roe v. Wade, you, you're ramping up to 1.2 million because there was the sense that now that it's legal, it's fine. Um, and, you know, I always hear this total about, oh, but if it you was outlaw, legal before. In but, certain states. Right, yeah. In, in very few states. It wasn't like the nod to... It was like California, New York, sure. New England, that's right. about it. And yeah. so every and everyone else, even if they had, even if it was legal, had very tight, like, restrictions on it. Sure. Which Roe v. Wade actually said you can place very little restrictions on it, which is ridiculous. Um, but so you know, but there's also, I guess, there's one pushback. The other pushback is that you know, doesn't that assume that the church has some kind of method where it can automatically come in and you know change the culture? And I'm not so sure that's true. I mean, Greg Boyd is a guy who's a pastor in Minneapolis who has argued that if the church just preached the gospel boldly, there wouldn't be any of these social problems. But that assumes everybody's going to accept the gospel. And I'm not so sure they would. And, you know, so, and then, you know, what I also don't buy is that, you know, what I hear from the left all the time, uh, whether it's the social left and economic right or whether it's, you know, total left is, you're pushing your morality on us. Well, everyone in a democratic republic, you're always pushing your morality. I mean, if you vote for Obama because you believe that the, that the rich should pay more in taxes to pay down the deficit, that's a moral position. Sure, not having morals is a moral position. Yeah, exactly. Everything's a moral position. So sure. everybody's pushing their morals on everybody in a democratic republic. And that's a, that's a silly argument. Um, you know. So and and you know. So the question is, you know, can we can we convince people? And do we have the duty as Christians in a democratic republic where we have a voice? And it's important to remember, Jesus had no political voice in Israel. Right in the Roman Empire, very few people had a political voice. Period. And but. You know, the only rights that the Apostle Paul had as a citizen were basically what we would call due process rights. He had rights rights for criminal courts to be treated in a certain way. That's about it. And, you know, and he took advantage of those. 
He didn't have any problem. I mean, sure. he got mad when people whipped him. He said, I'm a Roman citizen. You know, what right did you have to do this? You know, um, he, he stood up for his rights. When, and actually, um, one of the rights you had as a Jew before the Sanhedrin was, was that you were never to um, having to respond to allegations yourself. You would have to tell the court where your witnesses and witnesses would have to come before you. And Jesus does that. If you look, Jesus says, where are your witnesses that I've done this? He's appealing to his rights before the Jews. So I'm not sure that appealing to you know before your rights as a citizen is wrong. Um, so at the end of the day, you know, do we have a responsibility to make some kind of argument in the public sphere that this is right, this is wrong? Um, and I love the way Doug Wilson put it in a blog post. I don't always agree with Doug Wilson. He has some kind of weird ideas. But one of the things he put was a few months ago, he wrote a blog post. He said, Jesus has an opinion on that. He said, we have, this, you know, we have this idea that there are certain things the church addresses and there are certain things that are just out here. He said, no, 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 There is right and there is wrong. Jesus has an opinion on that. And so would Jesus approve of same-sex marriage? Would Jesus approve of abortion? And if we have th- this right as citizens to express ourselves in a peaceful way, sure, I might yeah. add, in a voting way. I mean, when we vote, you know, when George Bush defeated Al Gore, when Barack Obama defeated John, o- you know, John McCain, there weren't riots in the streets. It was just, that was the vote. It was done. It was done in a very peaceful manner. What's wrong with that? Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because that's the way the country's set up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, again, I, I'm not a fan of, from the pulpit, more of the fan of, that you can't be a Christian if. Those are the ones that really mm-hmm. bug me, I guess, because I think there are... We have to sift through, which I think is difficult for us to say which is worse, which is greater. Killing unborn children is horrendous. Yep. Um, but not even caring for the least among us also puts you True. as a goat. Don't want to be pepperoni, and, and the way that rolls. So... Mm-hmm. Um, so I, so then, then you're leaving it up to me to make some moral obligation. And I think that, again, needs to come back to, okay, what have I learned from Scripture? Where do I stand? And this is my personal decision. Mm-hmm. I, the problem I have with the, the moral, I guess, is group think. When a pastor says this is what you should do, mm-hmm. everyone's going to do this without thinking, without reading. It seems, at least the, the churches I've attended, there's not a whole lot of, even if a pastor says something, well, this is such and such, and it can be based purely on tradition, and not scripture, people take that as gospel. And they don't ever go back and dig in and say, well, I don't know about that. That's just not the way it works, it seems, around our area, the people that I've seen, and the churches I've been. So that's what scares me, is that no one makes a decision based on what their personal belief is and their mm-hmm. personal, I guess, okay, so I'm going to search this out. God, what do you think? Let's have a conversation. Let's pray about this. Is Well, no, I saw that Pat Robertson said, this and I put my hand on the screen and oh, that's Lord. how it worked. Yeah. <laughs> but you understand what I'm yeah. saying. So there's a yeah. there's this level of group think and it's an ideal word I guess where I'm thinking everyone is I'm hoping everyone is mature enough to want to take this a step further and say, Hey, this is probably important. You know, maybe I should spend an ounce of time in prayer in this. Mm-hmm. Probably doesn't happen. Uh, and unfortunately I don't think it does happen, but Eric, what do you think? And you're the youngest one of us here because we're going from forty thirties, you're in the twenties what do you think? It's, um, I don't even know where to start. Um, you know, well, let me ask you this, because here's, do you think, though, 
And I, I think we all agree, Matthew 25, 31 through 46, says we're supposed to care for the least among us. Does that mean the government's supposed to do it? I absolutely agree with uh, Ryan's statement earlier that it's, you know, Romans 13 says it's the government's job to uh, deal out uh, justice. Right. And then various scriptures support that it's the church's job to take care of the least among us. So I, I don't think it's the, the government's job to do that, even if we were... Uh, really, a Christian nation like we say we are. Um, That's not true. Why? Why? Yeah, I agree. We're. Not, I, I agree. We're not. Exactly. For other reasons, but yeah. Yeah. Um, it. Why would it be the government? Why would we use the government as a vehicle to do that? Yeah, I mean, and I guess we're lazy. Well, and that's <laughs> and true that's, because and we, that's it. Do we spend? And I, you know, I did a sermon on this a couple years ago. That you know, when churches spend ninety percent of their budgets on their own buildings and staff and programs, you know, what does that say when, how hard is it really to come together and study scripture and then just love poor people? Uh, you know, I, I don't think that needs a program or, or a huge building. But that, for a minute, I thought you said poor, and I'm like, oh. Oh, well. <laughs> Whoa. We're, oh. I knew. We're going to have to have a little time out here. I knew revolution the main was pretty progressive. But, wow. Uh, I don't know about this one. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, no, porn. Love porn. porn love porn stars. <laughs> True. We do. Okay, how's that? All right, but, um, and that's another discussion for another day. Next month, we'll tackle that podcast. I had somebody, <laughs> I, I did have, I had a conversation with somebody about Triple X Church. This is just a quick side, you know, how much I appreciate Triple X Church. And one of the things that um, Ron Jeremy, who is a former porn star and, and actually tours with Craig Ghost um, doing debates about pornography. Really? Yeah. And wow. they, they hmm. do debates about pornography. And Ron Jeremy said to Craig at one debate, um, what's sad is you, Craig, are more welcome at porn shows than I would be at a church. Ouch. And I had this debate. I told this to somebody and the person sitting next to me said, well, I'd want to know why he was there. I was like, why do you care? <laughs> why do you care? Oh, wow. You know, what What difference does it make? He's at church. You're supposed to love everybody. Okay, that's an aside. We'll do that another time. But anyway, I, you know, for me, because I, I have this conversation with people all the time, and they're like, well, I'm, you know, I'm voting for the left because of I want to care for the poor and Medicare and Medicaid and so forth. First of all, I'd say, you know, where has the right ever said they're going to cut Medicare, Medicaid, or Social Security? They haven't. Uh, that's a lie. They, I mean, the, the, you know, I used to work in politics. Every two years, the Democratic line was, those people are going to get rid of Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. Well, okay, Newt Gingrich was in office for a long time as Speaker. We've had Republican presidents. Did it go bye-bye? No, because nobody's going to touch it. So that's a stupid, stupid, stupid argument. Nobody's going to touch that third rail. Um, that being said, what was interesting was on Saturday nights, I'm such a geek, I DVR uh, a thing on Fox Business News called Stossel. John Stossel has a show, which is a very good show. And Stossel had the head of New York's welfare program on. And he asked the guy, he said, does having so much government assistance lead people to believe they don't need charities like the church and others to care for the poor? And he said yes. Oh, sure. I would agree with that. So does the government actually provide, you know, does it actually provide a disincentive for Christians not to care for the least among us? Do we, have we been lulled into believing that I pay taxes, they have Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps, so my job is done? It's the same with, you know, non-Christians who 
think that they're they're perfectly okay and that they're um you know even christians would view them as oh he's a good person he just doesn't know jesus and right and again another disconnect where there's no good outside of jesus right and uh you know so we have we have uh non-christians who go out and they donate their time and their money and uh you know we have doctors that go overseas every year and spend a month in in africa working with people and and in a lot of ways they are they're kicking our butts when it comes to helping the least among us again but i think both it's a double-edged sword when we say this because if the church was doing their job i don't think we'd have as many abortions as we have either so i mean that's why i think it's tough to regardless if something's legal that doesn't mean that it as a morality issue that makes it right um so I I don't know. Again, I would be interested to see what level of people that we would reach or who at one point when they fill out their 86% I'm a Christian survey. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you'd almost have to do the math to figure out, all right, well, how many people are left in this country who can bear a child who could have an abortion if 86% of us are, you know, believe in, we're Christian um, to see what that number is. So, and you know what's horrible, though? I, I've read a lot of stories about, you know, young Christian women who were forced by their Christian family to have an abortion to cover it up. Yeah, because it looks bad. Because it looks bad. Oh, and sure. that is... Mm. That's stupid. Good Lord. Ridiculous. Yeah, it is. I, 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 You know, I think, look, I'm, I've spent a lot of time... I, I'm a political junkie. I, I've been one since I was about 18, 19 years old. Um, and for a long time, from until uh, I became a Christian in 1997... Um, and I, I worked in politics from 1991 to 1997 um, as basically an agnostic libertarian. Um, and what converted me was a book by P.J. O'Rourke called Parliament of Horrors, still a great book, um, on government or and how government screws everything up. But, is, that, is that horror as in Halloween or as in laying your trick money down? <laughs> the latter. Okay. So, <laughs> one time in the war. And, but we have, you know, so for me, I look at, you know, I've been studying this for a long time. And I look at something like... From 1965 um, to 1980, we spent a lot of money on the poor. That was 1965 was the LBJ's you know war on poverty, and we started the food stamp program and ate, and all this other kind of stuff. And started in 1965, and at the time LBJ started his war on poverty, uh, po- the poverty rate in the United States was 13 percent. In 1980, after spending billions of dollars in all these programs, Head Start and, and food stamps, all this other kind of stuff, the poverty rate was 13%. I mean, it didn't make a dent in the fire. We, we live in a county where we've had all kinds of government and government assistance, and the poverty's actually gotten worse. Yep. You know, so I don't think that government is the answer. Now, that doesn't mean I think that, because <laughs> yeah. people will accuse me of that, oh, you're saying that, you know, we just ought to yank all our support. No, I'm not saying that we need to tomorrow just yank all, you know, support away from the poor. I'm just saying it's not working. If the goal was to delete, to eliminate poverty, it didn't work. And so I've never been enticed, you know, to to the left because of that. I have, I agree, yeah. you know, I've been I've been pretty solidly on the right because uh, of the social issues, though, because of marriage and, and and life. And I think that we have a duty and a privilege in this country to express ourselves in a peaceful way. And I think we should. Um, and that's why, oddly as it is, that this reformed. You know, evangelical Christian is going to be voting for a Mormon, or already did vote for a Mormon by mail. So, but um, I find that interesting, by the way. 
It is. Uh, evangelical Christians are rallying behind Romney, and yeah. that is a really interesting dynamic. It's like all of a sudden, um, Mormonism went from being a cult to like a, being a, a wing of Christianity. Yeah, to being to being a which recognized sect of Christianity, which I'm okay with. You know the the. Church of Latter-day Saints has made a lot of changes in the last, you know. All I'm saying is I find it odd that the same people who are standing up woohooing Romney two years from now when something else happens are going to the same people crucifying Mormons. I'm just telling you. It's like this. Or two years ago. Or two they years were, ago. Sure. They I don't get Mormonism. I, I think it's weird. I, I think it's bizarre. I don't get the underwear and the everything <laughs> else. And, and the, I don't yeah, get Yeah, I'm it. out on that. Yeah, the special underwear and stuff. I, I don't get it. Um, but I'm not electing a, you know, I'm not. I, look, I, I grew up during the Reagan era when Ronald Reagan, I think, made a huge difference in this country. And Reagan held theological beliefs that I thought were goofy because he was a dispensationalist, and I'm not. You know, um, George H. W. Bush, um, who I voted for, uh, even though I wasn't that happy about voting for him, I voted for him, and, and he was basically a mainline Episcopalian, which I consider basically a country club. Um, so you know, I don't. I, I, hey, Babs. Exactly, John. <laughs> you know, John McCain too. I voted for Fresh John McCain in 2008. And, you know, he's basically a mainline Episcopalian, too. So I, he and I don't have, you know, the theology doesn't, doesn't, doesn't bother me as far as electing a president has good theology. I mean, George Washington had bad theology. It wouldn't teach Thomas you. Jefferson had Easy. bad theology. Uh, I don't know if know? I can think of a president that had well, good but theology. I, but isn't the yeah. misconception... James Garfield was probably the last one that had good theology, to be honest with you. That we think that if we elect a, a Christian president, that all of a sudden this is a... Some falsehood that we instantly become a more Christian nation. No, and I agree with that. But we, people we think don't. that. Yeah. I mean, and, and here's what I tell people when people say, well, we're not Jimmy a Christian Carter. nation. Yeah, and Jimmy Carter was a good Christian man, even though I think he holds some goofy beliefs at the same time. I mean, but the, when people say we're not a Christian nation or we are a Christian nation, both times when I ask them, what do you mean? What does that mean? Now, if you would have asked John Adams, are we a Christian nation, or Alexander Hamilton, are we a Christian nation, they would have said yes. But they would have meant that in, but they were both basically also mainline kind of Protestants who had kind of a liberal theology, and they just kind of thought, well, the majority of us are Christians, and that's the way it is. That's and, why we're here. Yeah, and exactly, if you'd have been actually in, in you know, so again, for us three history geeks, um, in order to have been elected, you know, from 1789 up until the mid-19th century, and, some, and actually some until... Um, into the 20th century, you actually had to swear an oath, theological oath, to get elected. I mean, there were certain states where you had to say you would support the Trinity to take office. Yeah. I mean, that, was, that was common practice in America. There's a Supreme Court case from the 19th century that says this is a Christian nation. Um, and so in some sense it is, in the sense that they intended it to be. On the other sense, says, have we acted like a Christian nation? Well, no. But who's acted like a true Christian other than Christ? I hear this all the time. Well, we're not a Christian nation. We had slavery. We had racism. Um, what hmm. church has had a perfect sinless record? Does that mean it's not a Christian church? I mean, I, you know, so to a certain degree, I don't get that debate. I think, I think it's a little silly. Um, I think you'd ask the founders, you know, whether it's a Christian nation, they would have said yes, and we would have said, but your theology is goofy. You know, I, I, I just think it's a complicated question. 
But I certainly don't think if you'd asked even Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin, the least Christian of all the founding fathers, you know, um, do you think it's right that we ban prayers at high schools before football games? They would have laughed and said, what in the world's that about? They would have said, no, you don't ban prayers in public. What's wrong with you? I mean, when, you know, when, Tom, when, they, when they opened Congress, they had a three-hour prayer. Three-hour prayer session to open Congress. You know, they used to hold worship services in the Capitol, and Thomas Jefferson would attend. And, he, and the Marine Corps band would be the worship band. You know, and, and so those were what the Founding Fathers thought. Now we're told that if a preacher gets up at a Friday night football game, whether he should or not, that that's a violation of the Constitution? That's crazy. That's just crazy. I mean, that's not what they intended. And so it's just so gone far afield, in my opinion. But anyway, that's all I have to say on that. Either one of you, any more comments, politics? I'm not quite the political junkie, so... Yeah. I'm ready to get it over with. You re- are you really? Well, we, the election is yeah, the really what I'm killing me. Well, this is some we have now. We have to realize that there's. I have some friends online who are like who will be listening to this, listening to this, who are in like Tennessee and Texas, and 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 they're not in a swing state, so they're not barraged yeah. by ads yeah. like we are. It, it's one. <laughs> I was just listening. I was just listening on the radio that there are people in Colorado. They're like, I haven't seen any ads from this guy, <laughs> only from this guy, and. The only good news about that is I can watch a ball game with my son where every other ad is not a beer ad or a Cialis ad. You know what this I mean? This is true. This <laughs> is true. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Who the heck for Cialis came up with marketing where you want to be in two different bathtubs? Is that like defeating the point of the product? I'm just, I don't get that. It's like, uh, if you're taking Cialis, shouldn't this just be one, like, jacuzzi tub? Not two bathtubs side by side. I think that's why we're here, Doc. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I digress. Uh, no, it's a good point. Yeah. Speaking of the election, I'm just throwing this out there. <laughs> My birthday is the day after the election. I'm I'm gonna celebrate. <laughs> are you gonna tell people where you're registered? I mean, what are you doing here? Are you like begging yeah, for gifts? I, I'm or? just I'm just gonna be real happy that the election's over and oh. uh... All right, election predictions. Oh, I think Romney's going to win. Well, nobody who's been up in the Gallup polls this late in the game has ever lost. Yeah, so true. And he's up right now by a significant so margin. You, do you think who's going who's gonna to be the next president? Just wild guess, Romney or Romney? I think Romney will be, yep. Go Mormons. Go Mormons, there you go. <laughs> BYU National That's University. It. Brigham Young. They're going to win right, the national you. championship this year, That's too. Right. They're going to rally behind it. It's rigged. <laughs> Uh, it reminds me of the South Park episode where all these there, people are in hell and, and, he and they, to... they raise their hands and go, excuse me, there's some mistake here. I'm a Christian. I lived a good life. And the guy in hell is re- just going, oh, I'm sorry. No, you didn't make it. But I'm a Jew. No, you didn't make it either. Well, who made it to heaven? Well, let me see. I'm flipping through. Oh, it was the Mormons. <laughs> the Mormons. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Does this mean like he's going to have to get his presidential seal embroidered on all of his weird underwear? <laughs> <laughs> Can you? Yes. <laughs> Is that a violation? Aren't they supposed yes. to be like white or something? Yes, uh, they are white. Maybe it's on the tag or something in the back. They still have tags on those, don't they? I, I assume they're all like handmade by some woman out in the field somewhere. <laughs> really? Wow. In Utah. Huh. I don't know. who. I've never seen a pair of 
All I know Maybe is, there's going to be like a Mormon's RS like outlet stores. Now. All I know is that during the last debate, he made the statement, binder full of women. I thought that's the last thing a Mormon should ever say <laughs> is binder yeah. full of women. That's been blown up, but it's been really funny to watch all the memes <laughs> pop up online. It's great. I got 99 problems with my binder of women ate one. Um, <laughs> oh. All righty. Now on to a more serious topic. Um, it is also, this is my favorite time of the year. October is my favorite month. This is my favorite time of the year for a couple of different reasons. Um, oh, oh, um, one is that it's you know campaign time. I used to work in, in, in campaigns. I'm a political junkie. So I love this time of year. When we're in Ohio where the leaves are changing, it's beautiful. It is pretty right now. Um, it is. And then on top of that, it's also, I'm also a horror movie, horror novel. I'm just a horror, horror junkie, so I need to say that carefully. Yeah, horror. The, the one that starts with horror. H. Yes. Um, yeah, I, especially because I help run a ministry on the East End. I did definitely need to make that <laughs> right. distinction. I am a horror junkie, and so... I love this time of year because even like Turner Classic Movies has nothing but horror movies all the time. It's fantastic. I love it. And, and so this is my favorite time of year. And so I thought it'd be a good time to bring up what is our favorite horror movie and why? What scares us? I was, yeah, I was told the uh, topic was scariest. Yeah, what scares favorite. us? favorite. Well, go ahead. Let's start with scariest. What is your, what movie truly scares you and why? Does it have to scare you today or at the moment you saw it? Hey, whatever. Because mine's actually both, but you, <laughs> I mean, you were petrified. I know his, and, oh. Go ahead. Go, well, I, I wanted to start with a little anecdote. Okay. That little Eric, at the ripe old age of 10 or 9 or What were you, what, somewhere. 6 foot 2 at that yeah, point? Yeah, I was... I was <laughs> just checking. I was... Just shy of six foot, probably. Eric is ginormous, by the way, if you've never seen him yet. And uh, I remember watching Scream, and that just scared the poop out of me. Really? I yeah, because I was so I was so young. Gotcha. No joke. I checked behind the shower curtain for like years afterwards. Every time I went to the bathroom, I'm like, this guy in the Scream mask isn't gonna pop out and kill me. I saw Scream in a theater on a date with my wife. That's how old I am. Yeah, and you saw it when you were 10 years old, probably on cable. I was in high school. Yeah, I, yeah, I probably did. So is this your favorite? Which, that, oh, no, I just, I just was thinking that's about the scariest. That that's the scariest. So, but one that still creeps me out. I don't, know, I don't know if it's really a horror movie or more of like a suspense, yeah. but Stephen King's It. Very, really? Very creepy I'm movie. Really? Wanna, now, I will... Want a balloon? Okay, I actually think that was, because it's my favorite horror novel. When it came out, I was like 13 years old, and it was like a 1,200-page novel, and I read it, um, and I, it's, it, the novel scared the crap out of me. Nobody, is there anything, now, is there anything scarier than a clown at night? Oh, can, no. can I tell you this story? Yeah, hey, nobody nobody reads novels, by the way. They only watch the made-for-TV movies. I read novels because <laughs> I'm a geek, but... And, and by the way, it, it, I hit it well, um, I, but this is what's unfair. I married a, a cheerleader. Uh, my wife was a cheerleader in high school and college. And when she found out I was a geek, to her credit, she stayed with me. But I think it's wrong that she tries to pants me in the halls every day. But anyway. <laughs> does she make you sit at a uh, different lunch table? She does. I can't eat with her. Um, Give me your lunch, buddy. <laughs> I actually think that, that the, the adaption of it 
is terrible. But anyway, I'll get back to that in a second. What are you with him on it? Well, let else? me tell you why my story first. Okay. I'm we lived before. I'm trying to think. I'm probably four or five years old, and I loved clowns. And apparently, um, had saw the movie. My dad was a horror like junkie, like stay up. Oh, night. I love your dad more than and, you. Uh, I saw him at McDonald's today. By the way, I forgot <laughs> to tell you that. Oh yeah. Sounds good, dude. Yeah. So, ousted. And I, I freaked. I had this huge picture of a clown at the end of my bed. It literally scared my mom and dad. They thought someone was in our house because I was so freaked out because the clown winked at me. Like you know how it does that little. <laughs> Ask my parents to this that day. That is freaky. They, I, they took down every clown thing I've ever owned at that point in my life because I was done. That is freaky. And, yeah. and they, my dad thought literally someone was in the apartment that we lived in at the time. Like he was that freaked out because I was wow. going nuts. Uh, and I can't stand clowns to this day. My wife makes like when she's evil, she'll like two days, three days ago, we, there was some clown on TV, like evil clown movie, because it's that time of year. Right. She just says, hey, Ryan, can you come in here for a minute? Oh. And I walk in, I'm like, oh, it's not cool. You don't uh. like killer clowns from outer space? So, anyway, now my the scariest movie that I ever remember seeing was The Exorcist, by far. Yeah. And, and what scared me the most is most other scary movies don't scare me because they're not, there's not this, I can say, oh, that's fantasy. Like, Scream was kind of funny. Cause look at Matthew Lillard. What is he? A buck thirty at like sixteen? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And I he's mean, goofy in the whole movie. Well, it's like I mean, it's still a great movie. But no, still, yeah, yeah, I liked yeah. it. It was funny. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, dude, if you come busting in my house, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, it ain't gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. But like The Exorcist, for some reason, there's just that element of th- that. I believe that those things could happen to right. someone, and then so that portion of it could be real is what freaks the bejesus out of me. Yes. And it's always that's like paranormal activity. Like that style, even like watching the previews for some shows. Yeah. Like I'm not interested in watching that. Not um, a fan of those movies. That they, I don't know. They just are too real for yeah. me to separate fantasy from reality. Because you haven't seen Paranormal Activity. It's not a ghost story. It's a demon. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It so, is scary. Yeah. So it I've is. seen. It, I caught the last pieces of it uh, on whatever I have, HBO. Yeah. Whatever. A Paranormal so. Activity is scary. I, I will give you that. I'm going to see Paranormal Activity four. I see every horror movie that comes out, but it is scary. Um, but, but Exorcist is my scariest. But I, I that's a good one. I because I, I, I have see dreams those. of those. Like when you, I had this dream like recently, like two years ago. It was a year ago where I reached into the closet and there was something in my closet and it pasted me up to the ceiling. And it was like one of those dreams where you wake up and I'm like scared. I'm a grown man, <laughs> scared to reach in to get my shirt that morning. Yeah. It's just like, oh Lord Jesus, bless this closet <laughs> in your holy name. I'm touching this shirt. Uh, Went to I'm get in. the holy water. Yeah. I was... Well, I would, Rick Clark, who was on our last podcast, uh, Rick and I had this conversation one time, is what would you do as a pastor if you were confronted with an authentic demon possession? And both of us basically agreed that first we'd wet ourselves. Lemonade! <laughs> and yeah, and then we would basically run. Pants. We would, ba- yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we would basically outdo, like, what's his name, Bolt. You know, and you running from bolts. the house exactly. Um, you know, I don't know. I'd that, call, that I'd call scary. for some backup. You're gonna call Ghostbusters. <laughs> I so my scariest movie actually is the, the the two movies that scared me most when I watched Friday the Thirteenth Part Two the first time, and I was about ten years old. The same thing. It's always that movie that like first horror movie, first real horror, horror movie, movie when you're like when you're like a real little kid that scares you today. 
if somebody wanted to watch me lose control of my faculties, all they need to do is 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 pop up in one of my windows in a bag, like Jason does oh. in Friday. That was before the mask. hockey mask. Yeah. That's when he's in a bag and he's only got the one eye. That scared the crap out of me, and I remember watching that and just being terrified. Um, but the one that really got me, I mean, that, I only get scared by that when I watch it, right? Then it's gone. Yeah. But here's the one that stays with me, Jaws. Really? When I oh, watch yeah, Jaws, yeah, yeah, yeah. when I watch Jaws, it didn't scare me. I, I watched it like an action movie. Sure. Right? Yeah. But then when I go to the ocean and you put you like you get above your chest and you oh, can't see anymore. Yeah. As soon as you can't see anymore, you're like, it's going mm. to eat me. <laughs> yeah, how much exactly. That's a good one. Uh, I'm not yeah. too worried about it. You're more likely to get bitten by a dog. Let me tell you something. You go to, like, you know, Ryan goes to Wilmington all the time. I went down to Wilmington there's last a lot, there's a great May for the first time. huge, by the way. Yeah, there is. You go to, like, one afternoon it was pouring rain, and so we were trying to figure out what to do in Wilmington when it's pouring rain. And so my wife took my son to this, like, interactive ocean museum kind of thing, right? And so we're walking through this thing, and one of the things they have is a map of all the shark attacks on the East Coast. And yes, Wilmington has oh, yeah. a great white shark attack. Yeah. And so I'm looking at that going, yeah, I'm not going to the ocean. Because <laughs> it, it is there. There is a pic, there's a video on YouTube of like, there are people in like an 18 or 19 foot boat, mm-hmm. and there's a great white as big as the boat. And they're in this oh, little skiff. And not a big, but like if the shark wanted to, like it's going around, the guy's like freaking out. I would totally be free. I'd be chumming the water. So <laughs> exactly, I, I, I have told you before. Look, looking at the ocean, beautiful. Walking on the sand, wonderful. Knee deep. Going in the ocean, <laughs> stupid. It's <laughs> stupid. It's stupid. And American people have been sold a bill of goods. I do not care. You can sit there and go on about how wonderful the beach is. The beach. The beach. I don't know. The water. I, the, I beach. Hate the beach. The beach. The beach. Yeah, well, but yeah, but you're redheaded. Sand, you burn. After, you true. burn under a, I get, uh, under a light bulb. I get, I, I get burnt, and uh, sand gets everywhere. It's just not fun. It's not fun. But what's worse, you go in the water. Who suck? Look, if they were honest, they would say, "Hey, come and wade into water that you can't see that contains deadly man-eating animals." Who says that sounds like a great time? Nobody does that. You look at the ocean, you get in the pool. Because the pool, you can see the bottom. You know there's no sharks in the pool. And there's dive when people pee in it that you know someone peed exactly. in Exactly. It. That's right. It's, it's perfect. Last time I went to Wilmington, we had a house on the beach with a pool. I sat by the pool, looked at the ocean, did not get in the ocean because, with my luck, my wife and I have a saying, if it can happen, it will happen to me. If I go out in that ocean, I'm being eaten. Let me tell you a little quick story what I've learned about fishing in the ocean in Wilmington. Mm-hmm. Everything in the ocean has teeth. When you go fishing, mm-hmm. like you pull out a fish that's the size of any other fish in all other, usually a little bit bigger, but you have to have pliers because everything has teeth that's in salt water. Exactly. So, I mean, like, take your finger off teeth. And then the last time I we went fishing, the only thing I caught were two sharks. See? And They're out there. You think. They're waiting for you. I'm more scared of jellyfish than sharks. Well, and my my nephew was was stung by a jellyfish. And what about? Isn't there? There's like some fish. Like yeah. people always say, well, if you got to pee and you're at the beach, go in the ocean. And there's some like fish and stuff that'll go places think, you don't want to go. More exactly. In, like the Amazon, but I don't. I don't I take don't my care. chances. I am not going there. Let me tell you. Look, 
God, if God puts man-eating creatures in a place, that is his way of saying, don't go there. Yeah. Not for you. Hey, well, according to the Creation Museum, everything was meant to be uh, vegetarians <laughs> to begin with anyway. So You went to the Creation Museum? No, I just, <laughs> read, I just read some of their literature. i got to do this right here, right now. If that once, is true, when you inside. see a big old plate of ribs sitting on a smoker just come off a barbecue, mm. do you not salivate? If your body was meant to eat freaking vegetables, <laughs> would your mouth get all watery like a freaking basset hound? Hey, I, I didn't say it was my I start stance. gagging. So. The moment I see broccoli or, or salad, exactly. I start gagging. Yeah. But, but slap yeah. a big old ribs steak right Ready in front of me? rock and roll. Let's go. Let's go. Burger. Pour an ice cold beer. Let's go. Uh, uh, where are we going? Yeah. <laughs> are we <laughs> done with this shit? No. Uh, so, so, Jaws is your... Jaws is the scariest what's your because favorite? my favorite... Is Psycho simply because Psycho redefined yeah, didn't you, everything? Didn't you read his blog? Yeah, Psycho is Number the greatest one. modern horror movie ever because it totally redefined horror and it made me want to make movies. I was 13 years old and it was it was like that. I don't know. You always have that kind of dead time during the summer where like the Reds have a day off, the football season hasn't started, and all yeah. that kind of stuff, right? And so I was watching Psycho. Um, on a Sunday afternoon, and I and I remember thinking, this is a black and white movie. Is this all that's on? And there was nothing else on, and so I'm sitting there watching it, and I loved it, and it's what made me, I, you guys don't know, I ran away from home when I was 15. I ran away to Hollywood to make movies, and I wanted to make Psycho. I thought it was the most brilliant thing I'd ever seen. I loved Psycho. I thought it was genius. So right up there with Jaws, I'd, I'd, I'd put Psycho. And I'd probably put Psycho simply above Jaws only because... I went on the Universal tour the first time I went to L.A. when I was like 13 when my brother moved out there. And they show you the Bates house and the Bates motel at the Universal tour, and it's still scary looking. But then they show you Bruce, the Jaws, the shark from Jaws comes up, and it looks like a rubber shark. Yeah. It's just not that scary. Yeah. You know what I mean? But the Bates motel still scared the crap out of me. So that's that's part of it. All right. So favorite. Is there you have a favorite horror movie apart from Scream? Or? Um... I, I'm not a huge horror movie uh, guy. Although like last God have mercy on your soul. Yeah, <laughs> last October there were just they just kept throwing up horror well, movies the horror on Netflix, genre is going so I just crazy, watched a ton way. of them. Like it's how twisted our Nazi zombies was a really great. Movie. I think it was called Dead Snow. Dead Snow. That is a great movie. It is a great movie. Yes, it, it is was. really gory. Yeah. Um, but I would say probably my favorite uh, could be. The first Saw movie that I thought that was brilliant when it, it came out. It was brilliant. Was the ending not brilliant? It Were was, you not oh, shocked? The by ending, it? the ending gets you every time. You watch yeah. it again and you're like, "That's oh, that's so awesome! Yeah. I can't believe." I will give you two, and these are not these are just movies that made me that had this effect afterwards. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Jaws, where you think the Ring was one. Because every time oh, someone yeah. calls See, me, that's another one I was debating. It's like with. everyone's like, you, that is you're scary. getting ready to pick up the phone. Yeah, and like the flies, and you have this little little girls are always creepy. First I have off, two of can them, I say just little, they're always creepy. <laughs> little, Maybe because little you have dead two little girls, children. Yeah, yeah. Oh. little dead children. Uh, you remember like children uh, of the corn? Creepy children good, um, are, are, are creepy. Children are incredibly. What about like creepy Amish children? Yeah, children of the corn. Yeah, absolutely. And so my number two, there was. I don't think it's a popular movie. Um, but it freaks you out because you think you hear stuff. Mm. Is it called White Noise? It had like Michael Keaton. Oh yeah, that, it was, oh, that was ridiculous. I've seen that. Yeah, I did. But yeah, you listen to Static all the time, and you're and like, you hear Static. Oh. oh, and you're like, oh God, is something reaching out to me? Jesus, yeah. help me! Help me, Jesus! 
I mean, you're freaking out. So, God, is that you? Can I also throw out Blair Witch Project? Blair Witch Project is brilliant. Well, and it was it the first is of its absolutely kind. It was the brilliant. first of its yes. kind. Every other movie after that that has been of that style has it's not it, been very good. Oh, it was incredible. And and shot for like fifty thousand dollars. I mean, literally, they went like shot in, in backyard. eight days. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah. Blair I Witch mean, Project is. Amazing. And in the beginning, you still had that: is this real? Is this not real? Right. What is going? And did a great marketing job of not marketing. Yeah. Oh, pretty much. You the mean, marketing so, campaign was fantastic. And it was yeah. like, what? Well, I don't know what this is. Like, then you watch it, and you're like. I don't know that I want to know what this was. I don't. I'm scared. Yeah. I don't want to know anymore. Someone tell me it's fake. You, you know immediate, I mean? yeah. You immediately go online and you're like, "Where did this happen?" Oh, now, I want to hear all the folklore about it, and then you find out it's a mockumentary, and you're like, "Man, I, you're, I'm a little disappointed." But yeah. they did a good job. They did. Yeah. And it is. It is kind of look. I used to um, in my previous job, previous position, I had 19 states, and one of the things I would do when I would have an hour or two to kill between appointments. I would go to places where they shot horror movies. I would look it up. You can look it up on like IMDb. Freak, man. <laughs> I am. And so and so I would go I've been to Camp Crystal Lake. I have been to where they shot Friday the thirteenth. Um, I have been to the mall where they shot the original Dawn of the Dead. And I have been to the town where they shot the Blair Witch Project. And here's what you find out in the light of day. Boring. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> now let me throw this so the, boring. the people there were boring in the movie. Yes, so. they were yeah. Here's here's another thing that very always freaked me out. The the house I live in is one that I built with my dad, and unbeknownst to me, this used to be a pig farm out here. And, and it's so, on an Indian burial. Ground. No, it's not on an Indian burial ground. <laughs> um, but it was a pig farm, and so for some strange reason, every spring we get an abnormal amount of flies. I mean, to the point, like, the corner the huh. corner of my house is black. That's like Amityville Horror. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. And my dad pulls up one day, and he's yeah. like, oh, man, that's like Amityville Horror. Yeah. And then I start, like, the oh, whole man. time, I'm thinking, like, I'm going to bless it, everything in my house, dear Jesus. Oh, man. Please watch over that this is house. Creepy. The walls haven't bled yet. Now, they? because I am a horror, you know, a fan, I'm actually writing a book right now. I have two more chapters left to go. It goes Theology and the Zombie Apocalypse. And I'm two things that go together. Plug. Exactly, peas and carrots. Absolutely. Shameless plug. Absolutely. Oh yeah, right. this whole thing is a shameless plug. Which, by the way, you can you can read sample chapters at www.pastormatblog.com. <laughs> um, so we need to start putting some theme music behind these shameless. <laughs> absolutely. Plugs time. Um, you got what I love about these things is you start digging into them, and they actually get creepier when you dig in. I just read a ri- the Amityville Horror for the first time, the book, right, mm-hmm. this summer. And then I watched a documentary on it. And here's what's really creepy. Because I've also been by, I drove by the Amityville house. The real-life events documentaries are really, really creepy. They are. Just weird stuff. But you drive by the house, it doesn't look that way anymore. They've oh, painted it yeah. blue and all that kind of stuff in Amityville, uh, Long Island. But um, the book... You know, basically lays this out. The book's kind of ridiculous, but then they interviewed one of the kids this past year, and the kid said that yes, a lot of the things in the book did happen, but it didn't happen because of ghosts. It happened because the stepfather was into the occult and was playing with a Ouija board and that kind of stuff, and that's when it all started to happen. <laughs> and that's even creepier, is it not? Yeah, uh, I remember as my let me like my parents, my mom especially was very. Like anti dark spiritual things, like right. you just don't invite that stuff in. Stay away from it. It's nothing worth. Yeah. And like I remember, even like this time of year, especially in high school and stuff like that, and then college, everyone gets the Ouija board out 
That's a good way for me to clear the room right there. Like, nope, no thanks. I have never done the Ouija. Not my no, thing, man. I, I don't have any desire. I don't I know that I have whoever no, was never. Milton Bradley envisioned something. I, I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily there's something special about Ouija boards. It's just that idea it's of the your, intent of what you're inviting. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me end with let it end our podcast with two creepy stories. So, so we tell a couple of ghost stories. Um, here's the first one. It was a cold, dark night. Exactly. Um, when I was, this is the only thing that freaked me out. When I was 15 years old, um, and a buddy of mine, Steve Hamilton and I, were macking on these chicks, and we were <laughs> The down. fact that you go back to those terms and oh, use yeah. macking from back in the day. Oh, yeah. This is the that, 80s. That's street cred oh, yeah. right there. That's, that's, that's street the 80s, cred man. for the story. That's the 80s, baby. People out the old vocab. Um, I remember rap when you could listen to rap with your parents because it was basically just, it was, you know, it was Young MC and, you know, Beastie rap. Boys and Run DMC. It was rappers <laughs> Exactly. And so back when I was 15 years old, we were macking on these two cousins and he and I would go down. Wait, wait, wait. Are, were <laughs> yeah. they your cousins or no. they were yeah. actually cousins? Yeah. They were cousins. Wrong side of the river. Right. Not cousins of uh, not cousins of mine that I know of. So um, we're down there and they're playing with a Ouija board. Ooh. And so I walk in and they're asking their spiritual guide, whatever his name was, um, do you wanna do you wanna talk to <laughs> Matt? And it went no. And I said, do you not like Matt? And there was no response. They said, are you afraid of Matt? And it went, no. And I said, what are you afraid of? And it put M-A-T-T-D-A-D. And the cousins did not know I was a preacher's kid. Wow. Yeah. That's weird. Isn't I just got weird? chills. Yeah. yeah, me too. That's <laughs> um, freaky. Wow. That was That was the one kind of time, because I already declared myself an atheist at that point. I was like, well, that's weird. Um, because they didn't really know who I was. And I was like, well, that's weird. Um, so anyway, the second one was I was researching because now I travel across the state of Ohio. So one of the things I wanted to do was I wanted to check out supposedly haunted places in Ohio when I have time. And I looked at Sida County to see, you know, where we're at, if there's a haunted place in Sida County. By the way, I can hook you up with a couple places in Chillicothe. I was, you know, I youth that. there. I read that. Um, and there's actually a gravesite where you can go and chill the coffee off, off a paved road. That's it. And yeah. that's about a mile from my house. Is that right? Yeah. Well, we that is, uh, I'll, we have I'll to take you there. We have to go at night. So, it's creepy. Um, there, I was reading this, and it was a ghost story that's been passed on. This is probably apocryphal, and it's probably every town has the same ghost story. But it said at one point, before Portsmouth was incorporated in the, in the early 19th century, there was a place called White Point. And as best as they can determine, White Point was somewhere in Scioteville on the river. All right? Great. That's, so That's where Eric and I work, by yeah. the way. Exactly. <laughs> so it's somewhere in Scioteville on the river. And the ghost story goes like this, that there were some people living in a cabin on the Kentucky side. And they heard screaming from a cabin on the Ohio side. And so they go running outside. They can't see anything. They just hear screaming. Uh, it's at night, and because they can't see anything, they, they stay put. I mean, this is the early 19th century. They don't know if they're a Native American raiding party or whatever. So the next morning... Also, they were probably 
quite a bit closer. The river was a lot lower back then. Exactly. I mean, they're just right across. It's not that far now. You could hear screaming yeah. now. And so they get in a canoe the next day and they paddle across the Ohio Eric's River. That was Eric's useless knowledge. It was. It is. I have but thanks for enlightening knowledge. us. I, I'm also well, a warehouse know, of useless the, information. With all the rivers and tributaries <laughs> being funneled into the Ohio River, <laughs> the river is quite a bit higher than it used Tribute to be. <laughs> Not a word you hear every day. Exactly. <laughs> Wow. Sorry. Wow. So um, that's a that's a journalist son talking. Uh, yeah. Push your glasses up, my friend. <laughs> and you have a girlfriend. Um, <laughs> I do. So common grace. I got her fooled. <laughs> so the next morning, they canoe over the Ohio River, over to the cabin, and they walk in. No one is there. What had been there was there had been a family living there: father, mother, and a child. There is nothing there but a huge bloody handprint on the wall. And the rumor is that if you go to the Kentucky side on the anniversary of that date, you can see the ghost. You can still hear the screaming across the river in Ohio. Hmm. That's kinda, supposedly the ghost story. Kind of makes me want to go back home and look up some good old Portsmouth uh, <laughs> folklore. I have I have one quick one. It was from a girl who lived in Portsmouth that went to Lucasville High School with us, and she moved to Portsmouth, and they had a a ghost in their house. It was an old house in Portsmouth. Mm -hmm. She called it George, but knives, the TV would always come off and on by itself, mm -hmm. and the knives would always be missing under the drawer and underneath this girl's bed. What? And like she said... Now, some of this, like, I think, like, the bathroom wow. door would always open, and maybe it's because, it, you know, it got steamy and the yeah. humidity or whatever. But they called the Ghost George, but, like, the TV would always come off and on, wow. and knives would be missing from the drawer, and they'd always find them under the that girl's bed. And I'm thinking, incredibly well, at what, that happens, like, once for gone. me? Gone. Yeah, and then, yeah. hello, gone. Super 8, gone. how you doing? Gone. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was like, I remember watching the Amityville Horror back to that for the first time. They're like, get out. You know, I was like, why do you stay? I'd be yeah, like, I don't no care. Way. If I just threw down I'm six gone. figures and I walked in with my wife, and I'm like, oh my gosh, baby, can you believe we got this house? Beautiful house, beautiful neighborhood. Get out. Too bad we can't stay, baby. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> See ya. Maybe there's another sucker. Exactly. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, unless there's anything else, um, this has been the Revolution Conversation Podcast. We'll be back next month with another deep and not so deep topic this has been matt eric ryan good night all when she found out i was a geek to her credit she stayed with me but i think it's wrong that she tries to pants me in the halls every day she does i can't eat with her um give me your lunch money <laughs>